Hi everyone and welcome to the show. Uh, I'm your host, Kevin Hamm, and this week I am joined by uh, the delightful Christine Kaufman, Senator Christine Kaufman. Yes? Yes, Senator. And now, just really quick, because I know a little bit of your background, but I don't know if everybody at home does. You were a Senator this last term, was that your first term in the Senate? Well, it was the end of my first term in the Senate, but I've actually served three sessions now. And uh, the reason for the oddity there is that I was appointed to fill Ken Toole's seat when he was first elected to the Public Service Commission. Oh. So I served half of his term, and then I won my next term and served two sessions. Now I'm running again for my final term. Oh, very cool. And before that, were you in the House? I was in the House. I actually was elected four times. But I only served three times because I got appointed in there. So, uh, oh. but I am officially termed out of the house, and will soon be termed out. Well, we'll see how the election goes. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so you've had a good history with um, Montana politics, and actually, some of your history with uh, with the sessions actually um, goes farther than my history being back in the state. So, what's it been like working um, with the changes that we've had? So, I guess you've been there since. 96? No, no, 2000, 2000 actually. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was first elected in 2000, served the 2001 um, session. And, you know, I, there has been changes during that period of time. I think of you know, myself as kind of a newbie, but it's uh, a little bit alarming to think I'm actually one of the senior members now, uh, have, having served as, as many times as I have. It says something about term limits, that people as inexperienced as I are now uh, in the experienced class. But... Um, you know, I think, uh, well, it's just gotten more polarized. Um, you know, I'm a partisan, I'm going to admit, admit that. Uh, but I do think there's uh, room for people to simply agree on, you know, what are Montana values, what are American values, and how can we have differing ideas about how you get there, um, but can't get there. You know? <laughs> oh, you mean we're supposed to finish this test, this journey? Yeah. <laughs> Novel concept. Um, so, with the twelve years that you've been in there, and you know, hopefully coming up, I'm, I'm wishing you well in your campaign, obviously. Thank you. Um, what is it that you hope to? You know, this is your. So you'll have two more sessions if right. you get elected, because yes, senators are four years. Right. Um, two sessions, and then any special sessions, which we haven't had a lot of in the last six. I think, what was the last I, know, I participated in one. I can't. I can't even tell you exactly um, when it, when it was or why it was called. So, hmm. so uh, but they ago. they aren't uh, they aren't common. Well, and that's a good thing. So, what do you hope to uh, accomplish in your last two sessions? You know, I think if anything, I mean, there's there's a lot of things I'd love to accomplish because my history has been one of sort of uh, bringing up issues that maybe are not quite ripe but they need a few years to mature. <laughs> and, um, and then maybe they're ready for passage, and then somebody else carries them. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I see myself as kind of pushing the envelope. And I think that's an important role uh, for s someone to play. I think if I could help turn the discussion around taxation, I would be particularly proud of that. Right now, you know, both parties pretty much say the same thing. Taxes are bad, no new taxes. Um, everybody hates taxes, um, and, and I think there needs to be increasing recognition that taxes is how we do it. That's right. how we get things done in a democracy and the kind of government that we have, and this continual push uh, to, to lower unthinkingly 
say we're against any new taxation and we're even against the taxation that we have. I mean, it's just so short-sighted. Uh, and I would like to, to see a new discussion begin to take shape around that. And if I can have a role in helping that, I'd be particularly proud of that. Mm, that I think that's great, too. Actually, I was talking to um, a rather staunch Republican today. Um, I'm completely off topic, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. This is the way the show goes, everyone. I just kind of bounce around in my own head, and you get to come along for the ride. <laughs> um, talking about exactly this issue, we were talking about uh, taxes coming up, and he made the comment he didn't understand how people thought that roads got built if they didn't want to have any taxes. And I was like, exactly. Right. You know, we have, we have a need for roads. We have a need for infrastructure. We have a need for schools. Basic education needs to be there. Higher education needs to be there. And, you know... We had brains at one point because we put it into our constitution, right. um, but we've done a lot of sloughing lately right. in not taking care of that. So, but it's so unthinking. I mean, there's just no leadership out there um, on the issue. You know, Democrats are so afraid of being labeled a tax and spend Democrat. Well. Call it tax and invest then, you know? I mean, it, it is about investing in those structures that make our communities work, and it's right. just uh, ridiculous. Well, and, you know, if you don't want to be a tax and spend because it's got the bad label, but you also don't want to be what we ended up being this year, which is a tax and bank it and don't earn any right. interest and don't do anything with it. Slash and burn, you could call it. <laughs> <laughs> so you started when, let's see, 2000, was that March? No, Governor Roscoe was still, still in, in office. office. Yeah, um, very cool. Yeah. Um, what was it? What's it been like to work with the different governors? Because you've had Roscoe, Martz, and Schweitzer, and three more disparate personalities. Oh. I think you couldn't find. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's interesting because I I wouldn't say, I mean, the outcome has been tremendously different. Obviously. Um, Governor Schweitzer was instrumental last session in um, taking care of uh, the bad bills that got out of the session, and there were many of them. Uh, unfortunately, there, there were probably 85, and he only took care of 80. I don't know how many he vetoed, actually, but you know there was a few bad ones that that uh, he let um, go through. And, and obviously, it's no, it's good to know you have that kind of a backstop, and that helps a lot um, in terms of how state government runs. Um, uh, you know, I don't know the the inner workings really of of all of that. You know, I found Roscoe pretty easy to work with. When he first um, came in, I was a lobbyist actually with the Human Rights Network. So, um, and uh, you know, we had one of those uh, you know nasty anti-gay bills, and he helped us turn it around. He got all this hate mail. He turned it over to us at the Human Rights Network, and. And uh, you know, so so I felt in many ways he was he was easy to work with. Of course, he gave us deregulation. There's lots of policy issues, right? Um, but in terms of um, you know being able to to work with a governor, um, I don't know. That... You, you build your relationships and see what you can get. Right, and not defending him in, in really any way because I don't know what the political climate was. I don't think anybody knew that deregulation was going to go quite as bad as it did. Um, well, yeah, there were some people who did, and David Ewer was one of them, interestingly. He was in my seat at the time, and he was sounding the alarm and uh, just could not um, rally even uh, enough Democrats in his, you know, in his own party to, uh, to uh, talk about it. But, you know, there were certainly organizations also uh, that felt like this was a bad move and uh, we were turning things over to corporations. Of course, now we have a true demonstration of having turned things over to the corporations with the, 
the Supreme Court ruling and Citizens United and this this flood of uh, unfortunate uh, super PAC money into campaigns. I don't know if we'll see it here in Montana. Obviously, the the courts are a little different here, but yeah, I think we'll see some of it. Um, I was having this discussion with my mom days ago, I guess, about the um, the I think it was the PPL ruling, the water rights mm -hmm. and everything else. And I thought it was interesting that the Supreme Court has said that we don't own the land. Right. But three years ago, the Supreme Court said that if we decide to take the land through eminent domain, we can do that because we can say we're going to use it for something that we can tax, which we can technically do. So all we need to do is do eminent domain, take the dams, and then we can re-regulate electricity <laughs> because we produce it and own it. Which I think is funny because they're all using court... The right. Supreme Court decisions against what the Supreme Court was trying to do, which I think would be hysterically funny. I don't think I can get <laughs> RAG to fall in line with that. I have my own little fantasy of how that would work out, and I laugh about it. But um, So yeah, it's an interesting political climate, and there is a lot of um, both fighting between the parties, and while it's not as big on the Democrat side, they seem to be a little bit more unified. There's definitely some infighting that goes on that's super destructive. And has that really affected Montana? Or well, uh, certainly you see it on the Republican side, and I will get to the Democrats because I don't want to leave them out of this discussion. But, um, you know, you've seen this um, sort of conservative Tea Party before that, the Constitution Party, um, and, uh, you know, even libertarians, but who sometimes draw from either party. But so you see that um, sort of effort by some Republicans to say we need to be pure. We need to be, you know, we need to stand by these certain principles around whether it's taxation or deregulation or, um, you know, those sorts of um, those sorts of issues. And if their own are not pure enough, they'll take them out in a primary. And, um, you know, I'm all for primaries, unless I have one. <laughs> Do you? Um, I don't have one this time so far. Uh, nice. I, I did run a tough primary last time against a, another Democrat who... Um, was well known and and um, a, a good guy. So so there the, you know there are issues with primaries, but Republicans are very much these this sort of pure Republican base. Uh, you know either challenges their own in a Republican primary, or they form a new party such as the Constitution Party, the Tea Party. You know I mean the Tea Party isn't a real party but um constitution no they haven't been fun at all yeah. <laughs> and um so i think you've certainly seen uh evidence where um you know a democrat a republican and a um constitution party have filed in one seat and that really hurts the republican party and there's um plenty of examples of that having happened in fairly recent history actually where had the had the constitution candidate not been in the race um, we would have had a, a Republican instead of a Democrat. So, you know, there's a bunch of libertarians that filed down the Bitterroot so far this time. There'll be a bunch more file on March 12th, the filing date. So I think in that way, you know, whether you see that as uh, destructive of the parties or enhancing democracy, uh, you know, I'm not sure because, uh, uh, you know, the two-party system, it's what we got, it's what works, it, you know, it's what we know. And, you know, will it be around forever? I don't know. And well, some and of these it's, experiments are going to move us somewhere. Right. And it, and it hasn't actually been around that long up until 
I guess the last time that we, we truly had a viable system that included more than two parties was the early 1900s, but that's, you know, 100 years right, ago. Right. And our country is not even 300 years old. Right. So, <laughs> right. You know, so yeah, so I don't know. We'll see. But, you know, infighting, I think, hurts, hurts in, in other ways that the you know, public doesn't see quite as openly. If mm. you're not unified in, in uh, message and voice, it can make you sort of appear scattered for no reason. Um, <laughs> like the Republicans in the yeah, last session. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, in, in Democrats have had their share of, uh, certainly there's a progressive part of the Democratic Party, uh, which I would be proud to say I'm part of, um, that tries to push the party but generally from the inside, you know, there have been, there was a new party movement, I don't know, a decade or more ago, um, that was, but again, they were really inside the party. You know, they kind of had a, I mean, they didn't file as an official party, so, they, but they, they endorsed certain Democratic candidates and said they are, you know, new party progressive candidates. So there's been a progressive Democrat uh, a Montana group that again was working within the Democratic Party and to me that brings energy. People who feel disaffected by the um, the run-of-the-mill Democrats or the Democrats that they see as being too willing to compromise on important um, values can still find a place but within the party and I think that's I think that's the best way to handle that and I know everybody likes to talk about the big tent of the Democratic Party. Um, I. And that's why I think primaries do have a role in some cases is you want to be able to put, um, uh, you know, pit people who want to vote and get excited about a progressive Democrat against maybe a Democrat who um, some feel moves too close to the other side. Right. Um, I would think so, too. I, one of the things that I found really disheartening uh, about the Tea Party movement was that as their message evolved, they moved farther and farther to the right. They started out with this whole, uh, ostensibly, right? Yeah. They started out with the whole, we've been taxed enough already, we're paying for far too many things, which is a legitimate concern. I mean, you look at the amount of money that we spend on the wars, and you can kind of understand that, but then the things that they wanted to remove the taxes from had nothing to do with where we're really spending our money, and then they kind of folded over into this other organization that was just nuts. Right. And in doing so, they didn't become part of the Republican Party. They became this sort of cancer right. to the Republican Party that we had to deal with, and obviously, in the legislature last year. We've had to deal with them at a national level, and I think the Republicans are still having to deal with them. Oh, like, yeah. I think you see that in the presidential debate right now is this this effort to, you know, who's the truest conservative? And, you know, they speak to Tea Party groups. They cater to them. Um, as an effort to prove that. And I have no idea what they're going to do when it comes to the general election except lose big, is my <laughs> hope. <laughs> I'm a Democrat. Did I tell you that? Um, yeah, well, I, I have read your website. Um. <laughs> and everybody could go to my website. It's at www.ckoffman.com. Right, and you're on Facebook as well. That's correct. And you're on Twitter. Yes? I am on Twitter. I'm not a very good Twitterer yet. but We'll get you there. Yeah. Um, we'll include links to all of those in the show notes. The show notes are available at politicticboom.com. There will be an episode link to the show, Great. Um, which is always fun. Um, and we put all that information in there. And generally, I try to put anything that we talk about in there as well. Um, so you've passed uh, quite a few bills in the time that you've been in there. You've sponsored somewhat like a billion. And... Um, <laughs> What's, what was it like the first time you, one of your bills got signed into law? 
Well, you know, the first one I recall, you know, to me it's not that momentous. I hate to, hate to say it if you were hoping, but you're not hoping for anything. You just want no, me to... No, I just want to know what it's like. Because right. I, I, yeah. I, I know how I react to interesting milestones in my life, and I generally kind of go, huh, and then I move on. And I just, like two years later, I look back and go, oh, that was kind of cool. But in the moment, right. I tend to not. So my very first session, I uh, passed a bill that established an Office of Restorative Justice. And I was very interested in, in sort of uh, alternative ways to resolve community conflict besides uh, the court system and the uh, law enforcement jail. And, you know, So right. some alternative uh, sentencing, some alternative ways of healing communities instead of uh, retribution and uh, so I I did get this bill passed and I uh, recall a, uh, a conservative senator um, sort of a Christian right conservative senator um, came up to me I passed the house got to the Senate and he said is the gay agenda in here uh, and he said, I, I'm sorry, we don't actually write that down, sir. It's, it's in the secret. invisible ink. Yes. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, assured him that it, <laughs> there was no gay agenda involved. And, uh, and so he ended up helping get that bill through, I think, uh, in part because he saw a role for faith communities to help in this healing process. And I thought it was a very positive thing. Now, unfortunately, they took the funding out of the bill. So an office was established at the AG, which may still exist, but it uh, for a few years it sort of provided educational opportunities, tried to help lo local groups start uh, restorative justice um, groups in their community as alternative ways of dealing with crime. And I never thought it got off the ground or did whatever I envisioned to do. But nonetheless, it did feel good to pass a law and it even felt good to work with a conservative uh, opponent um, on, on the other side, both in the Senate and a Republican. Um, but I think I feel better about bills that where, you know, I had a bill for gay marriage. And, um, you know, it didn't go anywhere. Maybe it got four votes in a committee of 18 um, when it was heard. Uh, and again, I was a, a lobbyist. No, I was a legislator. I sponsored that bill. And... Um, and, you know, to me, being willing to um, sort of stand up for, for what's right before it's popular, you know. I mean, a gay marriage bill in maybe 2004, I, I, I can't quite remember um, what session it was, um, didn't have a chance at all. And, uh, but I provided an opportunity for community people that wasn't getting heard to be able to express their viewpoints and to get battered by um, right-wing extremists. And uh, there, I think there's a purpose to that as well uh, because that all gets reported in the press and I think it's been a, a, a progression over the years to come to a place where, um, you know, shoot, how many eight states now Seven, I don't know. Have yeah, Maryland's uh, latest and gay marriage, Washington. Yeah. Um, and then, um, did did Christie actually veto the bill? I know he was going to, but I, I don't believe know that he, he did. did. I oh. believe he did. Oh, sad. <laughs> so, but I, I think there's still a possibility of an override. I don't, I don't, I haven't been tracking that one recently. Yeah, um, I try to keep an eye on it, but sometimes it just it makes me angry, and then I have to go beat my head against the wall and. Yeah. Then it makes it hard to edit film, which is what I do normally. So, um, so let's back up a little bit. Okay. You're you're not a Montana native. Where were you? Where are you from? What's your history? So I was born on a farm in Illinois. 
I mean, I was born in the hospital, but yeah. um, I grew up on a farm uh, in central part of Illinois. We, we uh, grew corn and soybeans. I was one of 12 children in a Mennonite family. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, you know, we worked the farm and went to church. And uh, it was, you know, I, I'm not complaining about that as a good way to um, kind of have a formative years of your life. Um, obviously, um, I did, ha, did some examination and branched out and branched away. And, um, you know, my parents weren't particularly political. It would be, I'm sure they would be quite surprised. Well, my mom is still alive, but, um, and she's no longer surprised. But it was a bit novel <laughs> for them to have a child who was uh, interested in, in politics. And I didn't know I was interested in I decided to run a few days before I decided, uh, maybe a little before that. But yeah, that's so, where I came from. From Illinois, did you go to school in Illinois? I, I went to school at Goshen, Goshen College in Indiana mm. for uh, my undergraduate, and then I was looking for a different experience. I loved the mountains, wanted to live where I preferred to recreate, and uh, so I looked for um, graduate schools up and down the Rocky Mountains uh, from Albuquerque to Missoula, and ended up um, selecting Missoula and went there for environmental studies, which I sort of did combined with women's studies. Um, and um, then I became a lobbyist for an environmental organization. So very cool. So school brought you to Montana. Love kept you here. Oh yes, there's that. I did That's... meet my uh, partner, who now partner of 20 years. Wow! Congratulations. Um, thank you. Uh, I, I met her here in Montana, and uh, you know we're we're happy to be here and intend to stay. That's awesome. <laughs> um, so. When you first moved to Montana, I'm assuming this is 80s, 90s? Uh, 80s, yeah. So, um, I lived here in the 80s, obviously. I was you know, middle school, high school, and then graduated in 91, so I knew what, what the political climate was then, um, especially for LGBTQIII, whatever <laughs> other letter we're putting into it. Um, what was it like for you moving here? And, and I ask this because I moved to, at one point in my life, I moved to northern Maine, Caribou, Maine, a town of 8,000. And at this point in my life, I was so out, I might as well have just carried a rainbow flag everywhere that I went. <laughs> and people always go, I can't believe that you moved there. And I was like, no, you don't understand. It was, it was really cool. And yes, there are some people that had a problem with it, but that was because they'd never met anyone. Right. You know, so what was it like for you? Well, I moved to Missoula, as I said, and, and kind of had come out of this religious um, background and had actually worked for the church for some time until that just kind of didn't mesh together very well with my being. Uh, and so uh, Missoula was, for me, a chance to um, start new relationships with, with uh, self-understanding as, as well as the projection of being a person who is a lesbian. And um, and so uh, that's a good that was a good feeling. You know, suddenly I didn't have to uh, worry about who knew and who didn't know and who I should come out to and who I shouldn't. I was just out, and um, that was an important um, step for me. And um, so so I have great feelings about having come to to Missoula. I find uh, Helena equally accepting. You know, I know there's people that think Missoula is the only place you can really be out, but um, Helena is also a great place and. Um, 
you know, there was a, a fairly vibrant gay and lesbian community there. Obviously, a group called Out in Montana, which uh, I don't think is around anymore. The political activity hadn't started, but certainly the uh, social ways to um, find the community and and uh, have fun together were there. And so, as a uh, not a young person, but as a young lesbian, as a young understanding, uh, I uh, I found a nice home there, and it was. It was good. Montana's been good to me. Yeah, uh, the the young understanding. Uh, I think that it's. It, <laughs> I, I came to this realization because of a friend of mine who's in AA, and she talks about her birthday, and she always wins the day that she got sober. And I was like, I kind of have a second birthday too, and it's the day that I realized that I could be out. Uh -huh. And I I don't think people realize that, uh, you know, when you are closeted, you you go through this, you go through whatever years you're going through, and of course you have those issues, but then you kind of go back through whatever you missed. When, after you come out because you have to learn all of those social right. structures again. That's exactly right. It is a so kind of a whole new social community and uh, you know it, it's it was important for me. I f felt at home and you know in terms of you know that was still <clears throat> a couple decades before I thought pol political or running for office was a, a good idea. Um, and by the time that I, I did, it's sort of like I didn't even really examine that question, can an out um, lesbian run for office? And um, the answer surely is yes, I did. <laughs> um, and, you know, and we have, uh, you know, other examples of that here in Montana. And it, it has, I can't say it's never been an issue in the campaign. Um, you know, I've certainly had opponents who have tried to make it an issue, have written letters to the editor, got people to write letters to the editor, but I find for the most part people ignore them. People think, you know, it has nothing to do really with my capacity to serve well in public office. I think they're right about that. Um, other than maybe I understand some things about oppression that I wouldn't understand if I were not, were not uh, uh, lesbian. So, um, you know, but everybody brings their own kind of unique set of understandings and learnings, you know, with them to 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 public office. And uh, so I, I'm not any special, more special in that way than anybody else. <laughs> so um, then you worked for an environmental agency. Um, a grassroots organization, the Montana Environmental Information Center. They actually hired me as a lobbyist, and uh, that's what got me to Helena from Missoula. Um, and I lobbied in the session in 89, was my first time, for so, environmental wow. issues. Yeah. That was, um, <clears throat> was 89 or, yeah, it was 89 was the centennial. Uh, Is that right? Centennial ball? My I mother guess, will correct me if I'm wrong. Oh, okay. All right. Um, Somebody else I think can so, run. yeah, because 86 would have been, I was in high school and I could drive, so it had to be oh, 89. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, that was, that was an interesting year. That was my, sort of my... Uh, first real understanding of what happened with the session. I, I wasn't a page or anything, a couple of my friends were, but um, that was the first time when I saw how laws could directly affect, and I don't even remember what the law was, I think it was something really ridiculous, but it was it was one that just caused angst all over the place, and I was like, wow, that's a lot of power to have. We should be paying attention to who we're voting for. Yeah, and that, I, I think that kind of opened my eyes to, well, the Environmental Studies Program in Missoula, which is what I uh, studied, you know, really, I know it's interesting, Republicans sort of disdainfully 
talk about the environmental studies program as uh, you know turning out radicals, and in many ways that's what it did. It radicalized me to the um, you know to the belief that people have some power through government to um, change their lives and change the conditions of the world around them. And so, you know, my first efforts in the policy arena were environmental efforts, and that's still at my core today. So then, how did you end up at Montana Human Rights Network? Well, I, um, uh, I worked, let's see, I decided, they were looking for a director, they were a new organization, mm. and I decided these skills in working in nonprofit organizations, by then I had also, in addition to um, lobbying, had served on the staff of, uh, uh, well, the Environmental Information Center for a while. Um, I worked with Arrow for a little while, not really on staff, but kind of as a contractor. And I decided these um, skills with nonprofits were transferable and uh, applied to be the director of the Human Rights Network. And uh, uh, quite frankly, I think they hired me because I was a lesbian. And that would be legal. <laughs> <laughs> Um, because I think they, the organization was ready to um, kind of come to that understanding. They were very, the Human Rights Network was very focused on uh, white supremacist activity and was coming to understand that there are lots of ways people are oppressed besides just race, which of course remains a, uh, an issue here in Montana, as we've been reminded of. Right. It, 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 uh, <laughs> I could get into that topic, but... One, I'd probably have to put the explicit tag up because I don't uh. think I could do it without swearing. And two, I always think that race is an interesting discussion in Montana because, so apparently I'm getting into this, <laughs> um, because I, re I grew up here and I remember that I didn't have any negative connotation towards any race except for Native Americans. And that was drilled into you by people around you all the time. And it's the one time where every interaction that I have with somebody who's a Native American, I work very hard to make sure that I'm not reacting out of a racist place. And it's just frustrating to me that I even have those thoughts in my head. Right. And well, it's, in, it's interesting and not surprising that Native Americans was the race because they are... The, they are the, the race that's present. Right, they're the, they're the only minority here. The, right. the other part that I think is funny in this is that in my graduating class, we did have one African-American. Mm -hmm. um, I went to school with him for seven, eight years. I figured out he was African-American four months after we graduated. Oh. So <laughs> it never even occurred to me that he was of another race. And and that was really what kind of clued me in on the whole racism thing, is that it's really insidious. You don't realize you're doing it. And so you kind of have to pay attention to it. Right. And um, if federal judges would do the same, that would be a good idea. Uh, Siebel. Is that how you say his <laughs> name? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a delightful... What, and I guess I just saw today, and I saw just a few minutes before I left to come over and, and talk to you, that he realized, he, he had a quote, that he realized the instant that this was a very big issue. It's like, apparently the wrong instant. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, and I, you know, I thought the unfortunate IR editorial that uh, we all need to think more carefully before we hit the send button really missed, missed the point um, as well. Um, we should be examining, I don't know, you maybe didn't read the IR editorial, but they have, you know, just said before you hit send on your computer, you should think about it. Well, you really should think about the racism in, inside of you that would even make you consider um, sending something along. And, you know, his, Judge oh, Siebel's mean? defense that he, you know, he's not racist. The, he understands the joke was, but he didn't pass it on with any racist intent. This doesn't fly. 
Right. Um, so you mean we should examine the intent and not the words? Well, maybe that's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's been a long-standing argument, actually, that I have with people because they have, like, and especially in our community, we have the the label LGBTQII to soul whatever, and I try to remember it all, but I just can't. Uh-huh. I don't have apparently enough fields left in my brain to do it, and I'm like, we're just queer. It's okay. Mm-hmm. And some people get really upset with me for using that term, or worse, when I when I say faggot and you know um, I am one and generally I'm using it in a common term with somebody else and it's humor mm-hmm. um, I had somebody jump down my throat over that and I was like uh, you need to check the intent <laughs> right and this is where and and so you know you've been dealing with this from a legal structure and I haven't I've been dealing it from you know these are my friends whatever um, how do you regulate intent? Because we've had a bunch of interesting laws and a bunch of interesting, oh, you can't say that. Well, they absolutely can. Right. It's what they meant that you're worried about, but how can you regulate that? Well, you know, this comes up a lot in discussions about hate crimes, and I've from time to time carried bills. Um, uh, you know, we have a hate crimes law that says if a victim is targeted because of the color of their skin or their race, religion, color, creed, etc., that there would be an enhancement in the penalty. It's a, it's a crime of a different nature. If you ha- are selecting your victim because they belong to a particular class, so the com- the comments you get back is, oh, you're thought police. You know, you're tr- you're trying to punish their racist feeling, and mm-hmm. you know. No, you're the- trying to re- punish their racist actions. Right. So that yes, the, and the idea is that it is more damaging to a larger community if you select somebody as a way to send a message to that community that they're hated, they're not wanted, they need to get out of town. You would think this lesson was learned by 1944. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, the argument is that it's more damaging crime because it because it's not just the one victim, it's right. the entire population. Yes, it's a community that that uh, is And so I think that's sort of a relevant um, you know, point I guess to make in in this discussion that that the intent is who are you trying to hurt by all of this? And you know, if Judge Siebel really was only trying to hurt Obama, well, he's not hurting Obama because Obama never would have known about it. I'm sure he does now. But um, it, the intent is 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 to cast aspersions on um, presidents who are black and um, or anyone who's black, right? anyone who, who is black and so I don't know they're they're not easy um, issues but this was so far over the line so as not to be very debatable about yeah. okay so we'll, let's finish up this one let's see well the thing that I have where am I going with this the thing that I have on this is that he's a judge his entire appointed job that he has had since George W. Bush appointed him is look at a situation, analyze it, and come to a fair and reasonable right. conclusion and judgment. And if his judgment is so poor that he thought that sending this email was good, I think we have to go back to every case that he's ever presided over and take a good hard look at it and see if what he's done has been good. Because he's proved that he doesn't have judgment. Right. I think I think you're right. It does call into question... Um, you know judgments that he's made in other in uh, other arenas in his court decisions, and uh, you know I think it's time for him to step down. And uh, you know who knows what's going to happen here. We're right at the beginning of this one. Yeah, it's interesting. So 
Um, Segway, Segway. <laughs> I have none. Um, <laughs> it's an electric device. You stand on it. They <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, welcome to the show. Sorry. <laughs> um, so you've, you've been involved with a lot of organizations. You've obviously been in uh, the political arena for a while. Um, what's it like to be campaigning and you know now versus your first campaign you did uh you've obviously you know your first campaign you, you decided what two days before is this what happened or? no uh, you know i don't ken tool and i were both at the human rights network we were co-directors there and we had been encouraging our membership to run for office you know, saying this is really where things happen. And, and somebody turned around and said, why are you running <laughs> Why are you office? running? We actually looked, kind of looked at each other once and says, why everybody else and not us? And uh, because we're too important. We run an organization. But, uh, no, we both ran for office at the same time. And, uh, and Not it, the same office. Not the same office, no. <laughs> he ran to uh, be my senator and I ran to be his representative. And there were people, friends, who... Um, who thought that was a little over the top. Two people from the same org, two human rights activists. And I said, nobody says that if there's two farmers or two lawyers or, you know, I think and we should And they probably ha- should if there's two lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, uh, we should have 150 human rights activists and we'd be better off. So, uh, so we didn't listen to those people who um, thought we couldn't win. And they also said, well, you can't win because your organization has been out there on gay rights and it's not popular. And um, so I think in a big part, I and maybe both of us ran to, uh, to show that, um, that fair, fairness, equality, is really a central uh, s- central value of our communities, and that w- it's not, being being in favor of human rights was not going to mean we couldn't get elected to office. And you know, obviously, if you get elected, you are part of the majority opinion to the extent people know and understand your opinions. And I think um, you know, I've always tried to make sure people know who they're voting for. And uh, so, so, you know, occasionally I'll get people who say, you know, why are you telling us this? I don't like that. And I said, because I think you should know. You want to cast your vote? You should know um, what I stand for and who I am. And and uh, so, you know, we ran. We both um, we both got elected. I had a four-way primary. Speaking of primaries, wow. so three other Democrats were running against me, and I think people thought it was unlikely that I would win. I outworked them, and that's what campaigns are. You need to work harder than your opponents. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of uh, formulas for how, how you're going to win, and those are important. There is a science to it. You put you put some things in play, but I didn't know all that at the time. I've kind of learned that um, since then. I knew I needed to go door-to-door and raise a little bit of money, and um, I can't remember what I raised in that first campaign, but since then I've become known as a, the big fundraiser uh, often, uh, you know, my campaigns uh, uh, together bring in the most uh, resources, although there have been other big campaigns in, in Helena area. But um, I think that shows a measure of uh, support that I have in the community. Um, so that first one, you don't get much help when there's, um, from the party, when when there's four Democrats running, because, right. you know, they're not going to pick. 
uh, because they want to support the winner. And, uh, but, you know, I had good ground troops in the gay and lesbian community, and um, that helped a lot in that first campaign. And, they've, of course, uh, that community has continued to be supportive and, and of me. That well. community is very well versed in how to do campaigning. Really. Yeah, yeah. Um, Starting and and I will be the first to admit that the lesbians managed to get their act together <laughs> far faster than the gays, than the the gay men, um, during the AIDS crisis. I remember, um, and and I just got the tail end of it when I moved to Portland. But I remember very much that anytime you wanted to find anybody, you could find them via the lesbians who knew everyone, <laughs> and there was this this great network that uh -huh. you know had ex excuse me had existed. Because of the epidemic, uh, and 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 it's it, a wonderful thing that they've translated those skills over to the right, rest of our political right. life. Right, I think that that crisis, I think, did politicize the lesbian and gay communities uh, in in ways that have beneficial. We're reaping the benefits now, you know, in terms of uh, increased equality and. Um, non-discrimination ordinances and so on. Right. So now you're running your fourth campaign? Well, let's see. Fifth? One, two, three, four, fifth campaign. <coughs> and, um, Excuse me. You know, I, I, it does feel like um, I know what I'm doing now. And uh, uh, at this point in time, I don't have an opponent yet who has um, signed up. who wants to run against you, really. Well, <laughs> I'm, I am certain that I'll have someone by next Monday, which is a filing deadline, because, um, you know, I, I, always get, I always get one. Uh, they, they won't kind of let me um, be, be, and it shouldn't, you know. Democracy is about choosing, about picking between people with some differences and, you know, making your decision. So I welcome an opponent into this race, and uh, uh, I'll be able to, um, you know, focus on um, on campaigning throughout the summer and fall and you know, I'm used to it and I suppose I am happy it's my last time. <laughs> <laughs> so no plans to move on the political realm, no Secretary of State run or... You know, if I'm re-elected um, and serve out four terms, I'll be 65. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, we're getting we're near old enough for that. <laughs> so yeah, I just turned 60 um, last year. So wow. Last December. Well, congratulations. Well, yeah, I guess that's an accomplishment. <laughs> it, it is as far as I'm concerned. I'm looking, uh, I just turned 39, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to yeah. be 40 if I make it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, outside of politics, and, and you know, you say you like hiking in, or in the mountains, and uh, what is it that you like to do? What, what are the other things that... In, in, entertain you well in a couple of weeks um, my partner and I and um, sister and some friends are going to uh, float down the Green River through Canyonlands a national park Utah southern oh. Utah and uh, I like to float on rivers and and I'm not a wild and crazy hit all the rapids I like nice slow flat rivers you just have a nice day in the sun and then you stop and go for a little hike and then you make your dinner and life is simple I like uh, I like recreation that's kind of slow and simple so for example I don't downhill ski I cross-country ski you know <laughs> I don't go through the rapids I go on the flat water uh, I, so I downhill my... ski gravity is on my side <laughs> <laughs> so I like to, I, I do like outdoor sports that are, you know, active and non-competitive and um, kind of get me in touch, I guess, with a spiritual realm, which is what that does for me. It slows me down. Um, helps, Gives you helps the time, me. space, and clean yeah. air to breathe. That's right. That's nice. right. Yeah. So um, 
political season for the newbies, what sort of advice would you give to somebody who's just starting their first campaign? On the show, we've had um, Amanda Curtis and Eddie Zimple out of Butte um, and Kelsey Kelsey, Young from here. And they're all starting their first campaign. And while Kelsey has been around, Kelsey and Eddie have both been around politics for a couple years. Kelsey, many more than Eddie. Um, But Amanda is brand new to the political process. What What sort of advice do you give to those people that are just starting out with this? Well, my biggest advice to candidates is um, is to not pretend to be something you're not. You know, uh, there's too many candidates who kind of look at the the profile of the district and and then they they try to fit themselves into what they think people want. And I think people want authentic candidates. They want people. They want to know who they're who they're dealing with they want somebody that seems real not practiced and uh, and in, I guess in some ways uh, young candidates have have an advantage in that because they aren't as practiced and um, I don't want to downplay the idea that you need to have a good message you need to stick to it you need to think about how you communicate I don't mean that I mean you know don't don't put yourself in a hunting vest on your brochure if you're not a hunter. You know, don't don't try to make yourself over into something uh, something else. And then I would say seek out advice of people that have have done it. Um, should definitely go to a campaign school. Um, they have campaign schools. Oh, um, you know, trainings, weekend uh, training uh, kind of I'm thing. Like, Sorry, oh, we we send you off to Cambridge. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so you know, I know the Democratic Party. I'm sure the Republican Party has have uh, tram- campaign training events. It's it's it is critical to know kind of what the, what are the mechanics of running a, a race. You know, how how do I take the steps that will get me there? Um, but then you know, ag- agree that you're going to be yourself and don't let your advisors, to the extent you have any, try to make you over into something. You need to be comfortable with that message that you're putting out there, or it doesn't come off your, your tongue uh, comfortably, and people see that. And, yeah, and people react to that, yeah. um, and yeah. in Montana especially. Uh-huh. I, I, having lived in several states, I find that Montana is generally one of the few states that values authenticity over what your particular beliefs are. Mm-hmm. Which is both a positive and a negative. Right. I mean, there are many times when we have um, people who, they're very authentic. They're authentically <laughs> crazy, and yet we still elect them. Yeah, that's so, true. Um, so, uh, you want to talk about last session, or you want to just support it? No, we can talk about last session. So, okay, let's dive right in. Last session hit, and um, yeah, hit the fan. <laughs> <laughs> well, keep in mind that the house was really where it hit the fan. And, you know, that's not to say we didn't have any of any of these same sort of wacky issues in the Senate. Um, but we got all those bills from the House, not. Um, but it, or it's, you killed them in committee. There were a yeah. couple that started in the Senate, but you didn't really let many of them out of committee. Right. And certainly we elected some uh, new people um, to the Senate that I felt uh, carried that sort of Tea Party um, ideals um, with them, but they were less numerous. And and at the same time, uh, the people they were surrounded by were more uh, experienced because the Senate, obviously many people come from the House to the Senate. That's not the only way you can just run for the Senate. But um, And so I think you end up with a, a, a Senate body that's going to moderate things a little bit. Um, now... Um, we still had a lot of bills to deal with. Uh, I mean, they were crazy over the whole health care issue. 
um, the federal health care reform, and you know the the kinds of uh, bills coming out, uh, you know, essentially saying we're not going to follow federal law. The nullification. Yeah, bills. the nullification kind of bills. We had a couple of those in the in the Senate Ugh. as as well, and um, you know, th th that's where it takes some experience to know. You know, it's worthless exercise to spend our energy nullifying federal law. I mean, well, you can't do it. But to spend all the energy around it, um, you know, to bring it forward, to simply say we're unhappy with the federal government, um, is, it was just a wasted, I felt like it was a wasted session in a lot of ways. Um, not very many things passed. Now, I, I, somebody's given me a list of good things that came out of the session, but I'm not remembering any right now. Um, but I there was the resolution to end the session. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but but we, you know, we spent a session killing really ridiculous bad bills, and the ones we couldn't kill, the governor killed. And um, you know, I want you know, we passed a lot of bills, and they were not controversial. And I'm sure there are many bills that help government work a little bit better. And and I, I don't want to say that nothing, um, nothing good happened, but. Um, it, it seems like an exercise in futility to just go up there to hear bad ideas and then kill them. <laughs> well, the, the other option last session would have been to let them through, and that, yeah. Uh, yeah. that would have been fine. So, um, sitting in the House, or sitting in the Senate, sorry, what was it like to be in session and then to watch the House sort of eat itself alive? Was it knowing that you had been a part of it when it actually functioned? Mm -hmm. <laughs> what was that like? Well, it just uh, again, it felt it felt discouraging, um, you know, that that I in in my way was participating in this in this kind of uh, charade. It is interesting how separate you feel between the two chambers, and some of that is by design. Is you know the house is supposed to get there say on whether a bill's good and then we're supposed to have an independent look at that bill um, uh, to see if we think it's good good policy. So in, in some ways you kind of don't pay attention by design to what's happening over there and you hear about the house in the paper, reading it in the papers, you know. <laughs> um, and you know there are some occasions where legislators will will meet, obviously there's friendships and, and so right. on, but not a lot of formal ways where even the caucuses um, get together and discuss things or how things are going to move. I think leadership maybe gets together a little bit more, but I haven't been, uh, you know, part of those meetings. And, and when the governor's one of your party, I mean, there were some times when we were invited together, you know, to meet with the governor about, um, about something. But... Um, you know, we just got to do better next time. We got to turn the corner on the kind of rhetoric that's happened, and that's going to start when people start electing um, adults. Adults, <laughs> people, people that have, uh, you know, some, some, uh, I don't know, belief in government to start with. You know, to, that they believe in these democratic institutions that we've created around us, and they don't want to just come there and tear them all down. Yeah, it, and, and I never understood that. I don't understand how somebody who hates the government would want to be part of it. Um, and that kind of cracks me up because 
you know, if you really want to tear down the government, what you are is an anarchist, not a candidate. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Call me crazy. K. Guevara. Um, hmm. I almost know my history. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I've lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. Uh, with everything that we have going on in the last session, we had uh, several bills that were crazy. Um, one of which, which I haven't managed to make it through a show without talking about. So why not continue that trend? It was House Bill 516, which, um, as anybody who's listened to the other shows, you already know what it's about. But for those who haven't, it is about, uh, it was a nullification bill, but it was an internal nullification where um, uh, Christine Han- Chris Hansen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, brought it forth, supported this bill, and basically it would have taken away the ability of the local governments, and specifically Missoula and Bozeman, from having non-discrimination ordinances that included um, institutions not listed in the state non-discrimination law. Um, And these are from people who (laughs) keep saying, local power, local power, local power, unless it's that local power is used to do something they disagree with, and then they think it should be the higher power that takes over. Um, yeah, I thought that that whole issue, and I did track that um, in the House. I listened to the hearing, and um, then when it came to the Senate, it did, did pass the House and came to the Senate. And, and there I entered in some behind the scenes and um, talked to my re- Republican colleagues about, um, you know, I mean, set aside for in, for the first instance that this is about local control, and of course Missoula can can protect people, its citizens, if it, it wants to. Um, but the damage that it does, you know, to gay and lesbian um, community to not be able to have these protections, I think we always have to 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 start there and talk about. Uh, you know, the fact is there are gay and lesbian people who are refused housing, they refused public services, um, and they are fired from their jobs and, you know, so on. And people, first in the first place, people tend not to believe that or think that's not true. And uh, so you need to expose the legislature to the fact that it's happening and it's happening to their constituents and it's happening to constituents all over the the state and so you know for those who want to say this is um you know an issue of local control that's true and that may be why the bill was uh was finally defeated um but we shouldn't try to say it was only about local control it was also about being mean to gay and lesbian people right it was it was a direct attack on us right and there were um I'm trying to remember if it was the House, I think it was the House, the House was still discussing it, and um, they had the committee meeting and everybody was in to uh, testify, and we had a lot of people show up on our side, they had a lot of people show up on the other side, and the things that the people on the other side said were so hateful and so disingenuous and just outright wrong that it kind of surprised me that it got any traction at all. And then I looked around and I remember seeing the people on the committee and there were so many of them that were, for all intents and purposes, picking their nose and staring at the ceiling that I started to lose my mind. And uh, I had to leave. 
Mm-hmm. Because I don't think I, you know, I did my testimony as much as I could. We were allowed to say our names, which was probably a good thing <laughs> overall because I would have used some very interesting words um, and called some people out because I tend to do that. Um, it was very disrespectful. And I mean, the bill itself was very disrespectful, but then how we were treated when we were up there to t- testify about it was even worse. Well, you weren't around in the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and, and I wasn't out in the 90s. And part of the reason yeah. I wasn't out, well, was, I wasn't out in Montana in the 90s, right. in the 80s either. And part of the reason I wasn't is because it was hostile. Yeah. And um, it was even more hostile um, in the 90s when, you know, we'd bring an anti-discrimination bill or, or um, something like that. And, you know, um, it shouldn't happen. Uh, people should not be treated that way. And um, I think we win little victories every time those kinds of bills get exposure in the legislature because I think reasonable people see the news, read about it, and think, what on earth are they spending their time um, demeaning people? You know, wh- why is, is that what we want our government to do? And I think it has a lot to do with why, um, you know, people don't want to pay attention to government because they, they see those kinds of uh, issues taking up a lot of time, and, and I'm not trying to say equality is not a good issue, but taking away equality is a particularly uh, bad issue, and equality is just a bedrock value um, for Montana and for uh, the United States of America. And so, um, you know, uh, you know, I I certainly hope we run a good candidate against Chris Hansen up in Haver. Um, is she um, running again? She is running again. Ugh. Yeah, and um, you know, so um, we'll we'll see I if hope she... she's got a primary candidate because <clears throat> yeah, uh, she doesn't at this point in time. I know yeah. that. But I've invited everybody onto the show, and I'd love to see her come on. I just don't think I can make it through. <laughs> but you should invite her on. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I do. Um, so here's the other thing that you know I like about what I can do with the show versus you know real life is that I do want to talk to everybody about their opinions. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is interesting is in politics right now, there's a fear of saying what your opinion is because you think you'll be backed into a corner with it, mm-hmm. um, which I find interesting. I, I don't necessarily buy it. Um, I can sort of see. Do you feel that way? Yeah. Well, there's certainly that kind of pressure that if you don't take a, a position, obviously if you take a position on and an issue that where there's an evenly divided constituency out there, you're pissed off half the people. Um, maybe I misuse that word. No, um, you're fine. Okay. So it's a um, podcast, really. Truly, oh, okay. I can leave it in there. <laughs> I just put a tag on it. Everybody will live. So, uh, so you you have half of the people who, and you say to yourself, maybe they won't vote for me. So if I've just lost, let's say, forty-eight percent of the people. That means you've just won fifty-two percent. Yeah, but Which then last time I checked, still wins. Except for in the okay, Senate, so that's then a then let's say there's a second issue that you take a a, a position on, and you know thirty-eight percent of the people don't like your position. And so now do you add that on top of the forty-eight and say I'm doomed, or do you say that entire thirty-eight percent is included in the forty-eight percent? And so I'm still at the same place. And, you know, so you kind of try to do this calculation in your mind. And so the less things you take positions on, the less you have to do that cal- calculation to say, uh-huh. am, I, am I getting past 50% of, uh, 
people won't vote for me. But then you also have to say, are there really that many people out there that vote on one single issue? There certainly are some. I mean... Yeah, I love how you, the people at home can't see this. She just gestured to me, and I kind of have become <laughs> a single-issue voter and never intended to be. And, yeah. and gay marriage is generally the issue that will throw me <laughs> right. into my own right. uh, special... You know, and choice is that, certainly, um, for some people. And, you know, both of those are are very small component of the large variety of issues we cast votes on, we work on. And so, you know, I try to... Um, I try to I say where I am on any issue that you know people um, want me to and and if I get a lot of pushback I'll say well maybe we agree on something else you know and uh, so you can sometimes have conversations around that and understand that you know maybe you still want the candidate that's the best supporter of public education even though my position on choice does not align exactly with yours, or my position on gay marriage does not align exactly with yours. Um, you know, there, it's always a calculus when you're, you know, should I really come out? I'm not going to make gay marriage the centerpiece of my campaign. I never have, and I won't, because it's it's not something that sort of reaches the most people. You know, right. a lot of people don't think about it. Some people that do would wish they didn't. Um, and Some people that do, I wish they wouldn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm like, and so you look for issues that, that have a lot, of, uh, uh, a lot of discussion going on in, in communities. And certainly equal rights uh, is right from time to time. But, um, you know, right now, obviously the economy and, um, you know, what, what we should be doing to if there's anything state government really can do. We had an opportunity last time to help stimulate the economy with, uh, you know, with the bonding bill, which would have created some construction jobs, building and refurbishing right. state I, buildings. Uh, and and uh, that got all caught up in the political... That got caught up in a nightmare. And what yeah. cracks me up the most about that bill was that it was Betty Babcock's bill. <laughs> and for those of you at home who don't know, Betty Babcock is the former first lady... Um, and staunch Republican. She just celebrated her 90th birthday. Yes. Happy birthday, Betty. Um, and lovely lady. Love her to death. Her husband's awesome. Their entire family are very cool. And I'm good friends with Phoebe, her granddaughter. And um, they're, the fact that they just threw it out because they're like, oh, well, we can't afford it. But the entire bill was self-funded. Right. And now it we have... It was bizarre. And now we have a surplus. And now we have a surplus and... Uh, <sighs> So, um, yeah, there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's probably some things we can do to help the economy, but people want to hear about it. They want to sense that things are getting better. And I think, um, you know, obviously the role of leaders is to, to be as honest as they can about the current situation. But if you can give people some hope and some faith that the future is going to be better, um, I think that's an appropriate thing to do. And, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> so. um, so, uh, I'm not even sure what we're coming up on. Excuse me while I grab the mic and tell you what we're at. Oh, we've already come up on an hour. Oh, wow. How's okay. that for fun? All right. Um, so, is there anything else that you want to talk about? or? Oh, you know, I already talked about tax policy. That's my favorite. <laughs> That's your favorite. <laughs> well, tax policy and, e and e policy and equality, um, you know, I think have been uh, important um, bedrock issues for me, environmental uh, protection and preserving the kind of environment that I like to recreate in and 
a lot of Montanans like to um, hunt and fish in. I'm, I don't do those things. I'm just going to let people know right now. But, <laughs> uh, but I support uh, the kinds of environment that makes it makes it possible. And so and that makes I think Montana. That's, yeah, and I think that's a common uh, element we can we can all share. So. Um, I'm ready to wrap up if, if an hour is about what you and your listeners expect. Um, yeah, actually it is. So, again, everybody, uh, to find out more about Christine, you can visit her website at ckaufman, that's C-K-A-U-F-M-A-N-N.com. Two N's, one F. Right, and I keep spelling it wrong. <laughs> but I will put it correctly in the show notes. And you are on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Christine Kaufman? Senator Kaufman. Senator Kaufman. I will include a link to that as well, and your Twitter page, and we will get you tweeting more often. Okay, thank you. Um, we could tweet. I could tweet about this show, huh? Yes. I just finished with Kev Ham. Yep, absolutely. Right. That would be awesome. And um, if you have any questions for Christine, you can reach her via her website. Right. You do have an Act Blue page as well. I do. Um, yeah, you can find that on my web website. Or right. So if you feel the need to support a wonderful candidate for the Senate, by all means, do so. So again, Christine, thank you very much for joining us. Thank and you. Um, it was fun. Good.